he's going to talk a little bit about some of the, or having really a, a good health, mental health plan as a male today. And we're talking about some of the issues that we face but often don't talk about. Uh, so things like anxiety, um, addictions, anger, those sort of things. Now, the way it worked, actually, can I have the house lights up? Thanks, Lockie. Um, well, the way it worked out is actually John Graham contacted Nick, but I've actually personally known Nick for about 35 years. And uh, so he turned up at church one day to talk about uh, what they might do, and lo and behold, there was Nick. So I can recommend him. I actually used to work with Nick for many, many years at Team Challenge, and uh, excellent uh, counsellor. And look, so it's another great event to bring some of your friends along to, and that's going to happen on uh, the 20th, um, which is a Thursday night. It'll happen right here at the Uni Hill Church Cafe. So please invite your friends. There's flyers out there. We'll probably have a sign-up table next week. Um, so take a flyer and grab someone to come along with you. Um, look, there's so many people involved in church life. It, it, our church is growing so rapidly. That community hub's happening. And we really do want you to be engaged with what God's doing. We, we, we feel as a leadership team that our church will really shift in more of an outward focus. And every church cannot survive if it just has an inward focus. You just this natural sort of atrophy where you become a little bit more self-focused as a church or self-centered, where we really need to be reaching the people in our streets, in our workplaces, meeting them at a point of need, ministering to them out of love, and also preaching the gospel. And so that community hub is going to be another sort of step up for us as a whole um, church community here at Uni Hill. So obviously uh, many people are going to be involved in the future of that because, you know, all the different things that we'll be doing out of there. Um, we've got a dedication coming up in uh, about six weeks' time. We'll let you know about that. It'll be on a Sunday morning. Um, we'll pray. We'll have you walk through the property. So at the moment there's a lot of building going on over there. And look, I really wanted to thank Bernie. Bernie's sitting down there. Give us a wave, Bernie. Most, some of you won't know him, but Bernie's there, I think, 25 hours a day. Would that be right, Bernie? Close, yeah, very close. But he's really, um, he's our like, project manager and there's a lot to do. Things have to be decided on the fly and all that sort of stuff. But it takes a lot of people to be involved in church life. So really that seed offering that we're going to do on the 16th, that's not about money. It really is about what God's going to do right here. You know, we, we want to have a bigger impact. We've got an estate behind us. We've got the university across the road. And there's so much here that we need to be involved in engaging. That's going to be another level. So we're asking you genuinely to ask God what he would like you to contribute to that offering. And Annalie's right, you know, for this church building, we didn't take an offering up for that. We had, you know, the history of this church has been very well financially governed. And we had enough money in the bank to actually build this facility. And so we, we are benefiting from the generosity of generations before us, even right now this morning. Whereas that, that's part of also we feel we need to contribute to that. So please take the time to pray about that as well. And as I said, it takes a lot of people to do everything in church life. So I'm going to thank someone um, personally and I'm going to ask Irene to come up. Come up, Irene. She has no idea, so she's, yeah, give her a big, big hand. Now, for those of you who don't know, we, we've been uh, running The Emotionally Healthy Woman. And you might remember, when, before we started that, I said that I am an emotionally healthy woman because I've actually done that course. And, uh, but Irene really led the charge at um, running that whole thing for us. So 
Um, it took quite a bit of work and quite a bit of effort to you got a team together. So I mean, I know you represent a whole team of ladies, but it had a, the feedback we've had's been outstanding. So we really wanted to thank you as a church for taking the time to do that. And we've got a little gift and also some flowers. Jackie's going to give you some flowers. So we just want to appreciate. Yes, give her a big hand. We want to appreciate what you've done for us. Thank you so much. Excellent. Well, we're going to come around the Word of God. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, we're just going to read one verse, verse 17. Ever heard that expression, the truth hurts? Heard that or said it? Told your kids that or your neighbours or your work friends? The truth hurts? Do you know that's a lie? It's not the truth that hurts. It's letting go of the lie. That's what hurts. So when you hear a new truth, you know, most truth is, let me say it this way, a new truth that you have not previously either considered or allowed it to actually become part of your living. So not just knowing it up here, but actually how you function and live as, as a disciple or a follower of Jesus. When you hear a new truth, it's confronting. So often you react against it and it becomes something that um, you might resist or you can't really sort of work it into who you are because you're holding on to an existing thing you believe is true, but it's not either true at all or it's not fully true. It's not the only truth. So all truth is confrontive. No, none of us like hearing someone tell us something that we think is not true or we've never considered that rattles the beliefs that we have. So really the truth doesn't hurt. It's letting go of the lie that you think is true. And so this morning, I'm going to challenge a truth that I think some of us are hanging on to that's imprisoning our Christianity in following Jesus. It's stifling or stunting us. It's keeping us a little bit immature. And it's not allowing us to grow in maturity and freedom that Jesus actually wants for all of us. And I'm talking to myself here, by the way. And that is, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think... Do you feel that you've already sacrificed enough for God? Sometimes I feel that. Has God ever actually asked you to give something up and you've just been through this series of horrible circumstances where you feel God's almost stripped you bare anyway and all of a sudden the Lord just taps you on the shoulder unexpectedly in a way that you, you didn't perceive or you could never anticipate and he says, oh, by the way, that other thing that you're hanging on to I want you to sacrifice that to me as well. And in your, in your heart or in your mind, you think, but Lord, I've already given up all this other stuff. You want me to give up that as well? That's the only thing I've got left. Who's ever felt like that? Come on, be honest with me. Oh, there's, there's about 20 of us. So I might do a sermon on lying one day. <laughs> I think we all go through this, right? We just feel, we, we sort of can't say it because we know <laughs> It's, it's, it's not um, part of our belief and really our discipleship. You can't actually say, no, God, I'm not going to do that. You don't verbally say that. But often by our actions we do. And here's this one. I've been studying the life of Abraham and, and Genesis chapter 22 tells the whole story of when God tells him to take his, his promised son to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him, to kill him. And in Hebrews... We have this summary of these people who are champions or heroes of faith in God's kingdom. 
And Abraham gets mentioned a couple of times, but there's one verse. I want to just read this verse to you, and it's not on the screen. So just, if you have a Bible or a smartphone, you can pull up Hebrews 11, verse 17. This is the way the, the, the writer of Hebrews summarizes the whole experience of God asking Abraham to prepare his son Isaac for, as a sacrifice. It says, By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Let me read that again. By faith, when God tested Abraham, he offered Isaac as a sacrifice. See, I think what happens when we, we're asked by God to sacrifice something, particularly something that's precious to us, we don't understand the dynamic of what God's really doing. We, we just feel the sense of grief or loss or the confrontive truth in our minds and particularly think of Abraham. So, for example, Abraham, he's got this child. You know, we know he's probably, you know, he's over 100 years old by now. He's got this child that he'd been waiting for for 99 years. And God's promised this child to him. And then God interrupts him unexpectedly. There's, if you read Genesis 22, there is nothing in that story that he would expect this. And so God, I, I think what we see in this, this passage here, this great summary that's written by this, the writer of Hebrews, is faith has to be tested. And the testing of your faith is usually a sacrifice. Something you hold dear. Something that even you feel God's given you. A ministry, a gift, family, job. I mean, we could list a whole range of things that you hang on to. And here's part of the reason why I think sometimes God challenges us or he really is asking us this question, do you think that you've sacrificed enough for me? Because it's a lie. Effectively, we can't sacrifice enough for God. He gave up everything, his son Jesus, that we could even be here this morning because we are not just mere physical bodies. We know that we have a spirit within us and the spirit of Jesus lives within us, but it only happened because Jesus went to the cross on our behalf. And so here we have this sort of formula, I think, around faith. Now, we're, we're, this year we've been talking about faith. You've heard a number of different um, teachings and sermons and, and studies around the whole thing of faith, and you, you could spend your whole life studying faith. It's such a dynamic personal thing that happens to us it's there are principles that are the same for all of us but the journey or the Jesus way of faith is very uniquely individual to all of us like with Abraham so God's not necessarily going to offer to sac you know get you to sacrifice or prepare to sacrifice your child we don't copy what happened to somebody else but the dynamic or what Abraham learned from that experience that is true for us if God interrupts you and asks you to give up something for him and you feel you've sacrificed enough, well, you're not, going, you're not going to respond or you're going to resist what God wants to do. I mean, there's nothing in this story to say that Abraham understood what was going on. Um, for centuries, church leaders, rabbis, you know, Jewish leaders, they've tried to sort of come up with a a way to make this story very palatable. Because let's face it, when you, if, you ever, if you read through Genesis chapter 22, this is a shocking, abrupt story. 
God asking a man to sacrifice his child for him. And it, it, it sort of offends our Western nicety civilization. Like, how would, why would, we, all, all the questions of why. Why would God do that? What, you know, would, we've, we've heard for, well, really, all through the ages, everyone who's followed Yahweh, everyone who follows Jesus, we all talk about God as being a God of love. And so we have these two conflicting ideas in our head. How can a God of love ask a man to sacrifice his son? Now, we know what happens in the end of the story. Of course, the angel says, you know, don't do it. Mind you, I think it's a bit more dramatic than that because Abraham's got the knife poised to cut his own son's throat. And the angel appears and says, we know that you love the Lord your God. And, of course, he sees a, a ram stuck in a bush and he offers up that ram. But, you know, that's a nice Hollywood ending as well, isn't it? But going through, you know, it took him, he had to, if you read Genesis 22, he had to chop the firewood, he had to prepare for the journey, he got three servants, to, uh, two servants to come with him, he walked three days to the place that God told him to go, Moriah, and that's of course where the Temple Mount is, that's where eventually Solomon built the temple, that's where the Dome of the Rock is today, it's on that hill that this event happened. Three days of walking, you can't imagine the conversations he's having with God. What's going on here? But he does it. So we have this story without really much explanation about what's going on. We, I don't think, in a sense, we, we look for explanations because we can't handle the, the harshness, the brutalness of a sacrifice like this. This command to abandon all, to sacrifice the very thing that you've hoped for, prayed for, and God has even promised you, as an inheritance, is really total recklessness in obedience to faith. So do you feel that you've sacrificed enough for God? Are you telling yourself that? Or have you told yourself that? There's no getting around it. This story is the pinnacle thing that shifts from Abraham being another follower of God to what he's titled as in Scripture, the father of the faith. Father Abraham had many sons. Come on, all you old people like me. <laughs> all you young people have no idea. It's an old Sunday school song, right? So it actually, it's interesting, you know, in terms of structure and, you know, my, my interns will know this. This story is in the middle, right in the middle of Genesis. And it's put there on purpose because it's the shift. It's the pivot. Genesis 22 is the middle point of that book. And the author whacks it in the middle because this is the dramatic shift that Abraham is truly a man of faith. And that's why from this point on, and the New Testament authors refer to him as the father of many nations, the father of the faith, Father Abraham. Not, not some nice platitude or title, you know, to keep him warm and fuzzy, but because he obediently abandoned the very thing that God promised him and was willing to give it back. That's faith. Faith is tested and it comes through the testing of a sacrifice. So go to the next slide. Thanks, uh, Ian. Faith is really trustingly, obediently giving up what we can't control. That's really what faith is. See, it's very hard to sort of just put the definition of faith into a single sentence because we live faith 
We don't study it. We don't just list it on a page theologically so we've got it all correct. Faith is dynamic and alive. In fact, I believe you can study the death into faith. You can know so much about faith, but if you're not on the way of faith or not responding to God when he says, hey, sacrifice that to me, and you say no, not necessarily by your words, but by your actions. That's faith. And if we just try and list faith as a definition, it's so hard because it's all encompassing of our discipleship and our obedience to Jesus and his teachings for living. So faith is trusting obediently what we can't control. You can't, you know, our, our world tells us we're in control of our lives. We are not. And as Christians, God is the one we put on the throne. We have to dethrone ourselves every single day. And at certain points in the day, when we elevate ourselves above God. We're living obediently with a God that we cannot see. We can't touch him. I mean, we speak to him through prayer. He speaks to us through his word and by his spirit. But he's not physically present with us. And that, that's a dynamic of faith. And we're venturing into an uncharted way or path or journey or lifestyle that we have no knowledge about. When I first became a Christian, I had no idea where God was going to take me. I did not know that I'd end up here doing this. When you first decided to follow Jesus, you have no idea what your life was going to unfold at, but he did. And the journey of Abraham, so what we don't really understand necessarily, is Abraham had been on this journey of leaving, God telling him, now leave this place and go there. And he'd get to the other place. Then later on, God say, now I want you to leave this place and go there. Physically, he'd have to pack up his tent with all his servants and his goods and his family and keep moving. And see, that's what the journey of faith is like. That illustrates for us. Now, God may, may or may not ask you to move physically, but certainly emotionally, spiritually, relationally, God's always asking us to move. But we love to hammer in those tent pegs, don't we? Stay exactly where we are. We love comfort, security. This obedience thing, it's great on paper and in theory. But when God interrupts me and says, that thing you're hanging on to, sacrifice it to me. That's very different. So faith is really the marriage of the invisible with the visible. See, we, because we, we're physical beings, we live in a physical world, we, we focus so much on the physical side of life, so what we can touch, see, comprehend, discuss, understand, the opinions of others, that's the visible world we live in and we make decisions based on those perceptions. But when we become a Christian and God enters into our hearts, there's a whole invisible world. There's spiritual realms, there's heaven, there's the Holy Spirit, there's your spirit. There's a whole invisible realm that actually starts to dictate our lives as God uses them to direct and guide us. And so we are a people of faith. If Abraham's the father of faith, we are following in the same journey. Not a geographical journey, but we are following in the same way. Otherwise, we're not really Christians. We might be Christians in theory, but not in practice. And so we have to give up all the sensory perception that we so heavily rely on in our normal human living 
We don't just let that be the only thing that dominates our choice making and our decisions and our will. We engage in a life of faith. We choose to live with a God that does interrupt and demand things from us unexpectedly, unreasonably in our minds, unfairly. God's a mystery. We know some things about God because he's revealed it to us through his word, his son and through creation. But there are many things we have no idea about God. We only know what he's revealed. He is a mysterious, dynamic, fearful being and he's in charge. And that's why sometimes he calls us all to sacrifice the very thing that we're hanging on to. And if we just hang on to what we can comprehend or know in a human sense, we will fight God when he visits us and demands a sacrifice from us. So well, the way of faith is we choose to no longer strictly live on the hard-earned human knowledge plane that we know so well. Helpful as it may be, we actually embrace the mystery of obedience in faith that cannot be explained or fully known by human insight. It's in a life of obedience, a deliberate engagement of the will with his will. It's my body, his spirit. It's the visible and invisible. Faith takes risks all the time. The concrete idea of security that we humans hang on to so tightly actually recoils from such faith risks. We don't like it. Our world demands certainty, absolutes, guarantees, but for those of us who live by faith, it results in inhabiting a vast, previously unseen reality and that's why the way of faith involves a considerable reorientating of virtually everything that you know, expect and plan. The introduction of the word faith into your language and into your life as a disciple of Jesus produces a total reorientation of a flat earth expectation of order and structure into the reality of as it is in heaven. May it be on earth. The prayer of Jesus. Not your will, but my will. Your will be done, not my will. It's, it's the reality where God dominates. He's ever present, ever defining my direction, choices and reality. Not me. So do you think you've sacrificed enough for God? So here's the third, the third slide. Thanks, Ian. The testing of faith involves sacrifice, the continuous refining and adjustment and sifting. In fact, um, it says in Hebrews eleven seventeen that when God tested Abraham, and uh, if Paul wrote this, there's some conjecture on who wrote Hebrews, but let's say Paul wrote it. He actually gets that straight from Genesis 21 because this story is introduced by this sentence. And when all these things had happened, the Lord tested Abraham. Now, what all things happened to Abraham before that? Well, here's what we're probably not, not maybe aware of. Do you know that Abraham, for 175 years, he lived 175 years, and for 100 years of those 175, the Lord continually asked him to sacrifice. Can you imagine living a hundred years with, with 
God interrupting your plans, <laughs> saying, build an altar and sacrifice that. Build an altar, sacrifice that. A hundred years. This happened, so we read this story but don't realise he'd already come from a whole lot of other sacrifices that God had demanded from him. Now, this, I think it's the same. That's true for us. God interrupts us. So the binding of Isaac to offer to God, well, Abraham was, was already a man of faith. He was known as a man of faith because he was obediently following God, but this was the test. So again, just think of that phrase in Genesis 22. After all these things, after all the other stuff Abraham had obediently done, God tested him. So faith is tested through sacrifice. Abraham's our prototype of what it is to be a person of faith. Not faith as an idea, a concept, or a neat doctrine that is studied and repeated parrot fashion, but a way of living out the truth of the kingdom of God that extends far beyond our human knowledge and understanding. Listen to what other scriptures in the Bible say about Abraham. Let me just read a few other scriptures. You can take these references down if you want to. Because Abraham is mentioned a number of times in different Bible books because of this event primarily. So Genesis 15, so before he offers his son. So that's in Genesis 22. So some chapters earlier, Genesis 15 verse 6. It says this, And Abraham believed the Lord, believed, faith. And the Lord accounted it to him as righteousness. There's something about obedient faith and righteousness. Go to Romans 4, verse 9. Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Almost the same sentence as Genesis 15, 6. Uh, Romans 4, 11. He is the father of all who believe. That's you and me. Now, he got, he got the title father of all of us who believe because of his faith. He earned it. Let's put it that way. Romans 4.12. He is also the father of those who follow in the footsteps of the faith. That's us. Romans 4.18. Against all hope, Abraham believed and so became the father of many nations. How many people here feel sometimes you've, against all hope, you still hang on to belief. I mean, it, the, the way is exactly the same. We don't do the same stuff as Abraham, but the dynamic is true. In fact, that, the song we sang, uh, the second song before, um, we were singing about trusting God in the midst. In, you know, it, that's part of who we are. Even though we don't understand, we feel like there's an injustice being served against us. Um, sometimes we get mistreated even by other Christians and we sort of feel that's a whole nother sort of level of injury because they should know better, right? But when we injure other Christians, we don't feel that, do we? We do it sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. Then it says this, Romans 4.20, He did not waver in unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith. So faith can strengthen you. And Hebrews 11, this is that chapter, we read verse, uh, verse 17 in Hebrews 11, but just before that it says this, It was by faith that Abraham obeyed God when he called him to leave his home, so that's in Ur, and go to another land that God would give him. 
as an inheritance. And without knowing where he was going, he even when he reached, sorry, and when he even reached the land that God had promised, he lived there by faith. So we're supposed to live by faith. We don't always know where we're going. These, these are parallels to our journey. We, don't, we may not be on the same geographical path as someone like Abraham, but we're on the same journey. So faith is trusting on the way. It's an absolute yes when God interrupts and demands a sacrifice to test our faith. And it's giving up all forms of control and trying to manipulate God. The fatal thing is to reduce faith just into an explanation because it has to be lived. Faith is not something we study. It's actually a passion. It's a, it's a lifestyle. It's, 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 the way, it's the way we're on. It's how we follow God, how we trust in the teachings of Jesus. When the Spirit convicts or confronts or, or asks us to do something, we submit to that. That's the way of faith. You can't just study it. It's a lifestyle. It's not an abstract truth. You destroy the very heart of faith if you just study it. So even when you study Abraham's life, what you have is a real man in the dirt and dust of everyday living being confronted by a holy, demanding God. And that's my story and that's your story. That's what faith is. Faith designates the way of life of invisible to the visible. As now I am a spiritual being because I'm on the way with Jesus. It's organic faith. It's mysterious faith. It's unpredictable faith. That's why there is no model. You can't copy me. You can't copy Pastor Charles or Pastor Nick. You, you can't just do exactly what I do because my testings are different to yours. I'm hanging on to different things that God wants to pull out of my hands or strip back from me. And this pattern of Abraham leaving, you know, he... he um, he leaves so many places. He leaves, I think, about eight places in all. Yer, Bathsheba. There's a whole list where God says, oh, now you're settled here, move on to here. But that's what God does to us. When we get settled, he says, now I want you to move on to this. I want you to put your hands to this. I want you to do this. And we say, oh, not me, God. I couldn't do that. But faith is dynamic. It's personal. Perhaps... That's why faith requires repeated testing, sacrifice. So that we can discern if we're dealing with the living God or some illusion of who we think God should be. Some fantasy about God that we've cooked up in a stew of selfishness, pride and safety. Unbeknownst to us, these times where God interrupts and demands us to sacrifice something so valuable to him actually saves us. It saved Abraham from accumulating, from beginning to look at that promised son as a God, as an idol. What we don't understand, see, we, was when God comes to us and says, I want you to sacrifice that, we feel that abrupt confrontational truth and particularly when our hope is in the very thing that he's asked us to give back to him we don't perceive we feel the loss and so we don't perceive that that's actually the salvation work of God so we don't worship or exclude him 
because he's given us the very thing we've asked for. We don't worship anything God gives to us, we only worship him. We don't follow anything else that God gives to us, we only follow him. And I see that when God comes and demands a sacrifice from me and tests my faith, it's God's salvation work in me that I don't hang on to something in a way that puts that thing above him. It still feels as horrible as, as anybody else, but we don't perceive it's the salvation work of God in our lives. So here's the last thing. Number four, thanks, Ian. Sacrifice exposes spiritual fantasy masquerading as faith. Oh, God wouldn't ask me to do that. Ever said that? <laughs> oh, no. Um, in fact, years ago, Sue and I were involved with a parachurch group and um, worked for them here in the city of Melbourne in St Kilda. We went up to um, a property they'd purchased in country Victoria and they were going to start a rehabilitation program for people with addictions. All the volunteers, Sue and I, went up there to actually clean the property up for a dedication. Now, foolishly, Sue and I look at each other at this dishevelled... People hadn't lived in it for like 20 years. Horses had got into the buildings and kicked out the walls. I mean, there was no heating. There was, you know, everything was wrong. We looked at each other and said, oh, pity the poor people that are going to work up here. We wouldn't want to do that. Guess who ended up there running the place? It, it, it's, you know, I think God's got a sense of humour. We don't find it funny at the time, looking back. But how many times do we have this spiritual fantasy of what we think God is or what we think faith is, what we think church is, what we think Christianity is, and God just interrupts? He's so rude at times, isn't he? You've, you've got a plan, you've got it all mapped out and God comes, actually it's you. And it's a sacrifice to do it. See, faith is tested and more often not, it's sacrifice that is the testing. So again, Hebrews eleven seven, as I bring this to a close, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Just put your own name in there. It was by faith that Greg offered a sacrifice when God was testing him. Just put your own name in that sentence. It is by faith that you offered the sacrifice when God was testing you. See, sacrifice cuts off your hand that's grasping at something that you think will save you, that's other than God. Sacrifice puts, pulls out your materialistic eye where everything's got to be secure and finances have to be balanced and all the other stuff we get caught up in in our world. Sacrifice crushes any illusion, no matter how pious or spiritual we think it is. Because we create spiritual illusions, but it's not reality. Sacrifice interrupts whatever we're doing and God says, build an altar, bind that thing up and offer it up to me. The very thing that we're carrying, protecting, even think is a gift from God. He will interrupt, say, get that thing on the altar and sacrifice it to me. As I mentioned, Abraham was a veteran at sacrifices by this time. He'd done many before and he does a few after. 
But each sacrifice taught him the act of separating the chaff of illusion from the seed of salvation. Because it's not what you think. The very thing that you're trusting God for could actually be or become a little God in your life. So Abraham models for us the testing of our faith through sacrifice. Leaving, sacrificing, leaving, sacrificing. That was his pattern of living. Every leaving for Abraham was a cleansing of self and the toxin that he was in charge. And the same is true for us. A life of getting slowly but surely of thinking you have to, to, to receive everything that you demand to actually a life of letting go. So here's, here's the thing again, we don't, so we don't realise, I said before, that God's actually, it's his saving work in us is why he calls us to sacrifice and the test of faith. We hate it, but it's his saving work. But the other thing is we don't realise is the more you let go, the more you can receive from God. And what you need to receive from God is not necessarily what you think you should get. You've got illusions. You've been praying for wrong things, hoping for things that are probably not in God's plan or are probably not going to save you like you think they will. And so the two things we have to understand, the two benefits is when God interrupts you and gets you to sacrifice and test your faith, He's saving you from your own self. And He's also he's saying if you let that thing go, Something else I've got, I'm going to give to you. You have no knowledge about it, but it's actually a form of receiving. Sacrifice is not just letting go. It's a form of receiving whatever God has planned for you at that moment. And here's the thing. You know, I've got this little dog at home. His name's Ferris. He's Ferris in personality. If I try to give him something, he's hanging on to something in his mouth. He can't receive what I'm giving to him. And sometimes we hold on so tightly to stuff in our lives, but it's not the thing that God wants to give to us and we won't let the other thing go. And we're crying out to God for more and more and He's saying, well, I've told you, I want you to sacrifice that thing, but you won't. we just don't want to let it go. So we have to travel the Abraham way. Faith is tested through sacrifice. And the word sacrifice, the more you give up when God asks you to do it, it stops being this sour, horrible term that comes out of your mouth, be only out of force. It actually changes into this sweetness understanding that the Lord has something different for you because He's an invis- invisible God. He lives in the invisible realm. We only see what's around us. And He's trying to bring the invisible into your life, but you can't perceive it and see it. And the more you hang on to it, the more sour, that word sacrifice sounds but the more you live a life of sacrifice the more sweet that word becomes so a sacrificial life is the means and the only means by which our faith matures it's the only way we grow up sacrificing testing and we'll realise that sacrifice is not a a diminishment of what what we are or who we are or what we've got but it's actually a way of us growing none of this well it's the cross I bear nonsense because that's what a lot of Christians say oh it's the cross the Lord's given me that's not mature faith 
it takes years to get an understanding of this level of faith and obedience. Let's not be glib. I don't want to be superficial about it because it's only learned. It's not just studied. So I'm going to ask you, you know, one final time, do you feel that you've sacrificed enough for God? In fact, I want you to stand with me. I'm going to bring this to a close. If you feel the Lord's been speaking to you personally, I want you to just come forward. We're going to have our ministry team come and just stand and pray with you to see what the Lord might want to speak to you about something. You don't have to tell them anything personal. We just pray for you and the Holy Spirit will do the rest. So is anybody here, you feel that you've been resisting or hanging on to something or you feel like you've sacrificed enough for God? Why don't you come forward now? Come on, I know there's quite a few people this morning. Just come out. There's no shame in, I mean, I'll be, I'm down the front already, trust me. <laughs> I'm right here. Because we all hang on to things that God's saying, I want you to let go. I know there's a few more people. Thank you very much for responding. Can I have the ministry team just come forward, begin to pray? Thanks, guys. Just begin to pray. Now, let me say this to for those of us who are not being prayed for, or if you don't feel you, you can respond today, you don't have to. I'm not, there's no manipulation here. It's between you and God. But let me say this to the rest of us. This is how we grow and develop. At Uni Hill Church, we don't want to just do a Sunday service. We're not just going to sing a few songs and hear a little bit of teaching and then go home. We want to grow up in the things of God. And our leadership want to make sure that we are being discipled. And that means, are we obediently living out the teachings of Christ? And when the Spirit speaks to us about something, how do we respond? So these sort of teachings and, and you know studies that you'll get and times for ministry, this is really what we're about because you know what? When you leave these doors and go and have lunch, you should be just as much obedient to Christ out there as you are in here. There should be no separation between how you live on Tuesday morning, Wednesday afternoon, you know, when you have a disagreement with someone at work. You should be just as a follower of Christ as you look like in here. It's easy to come in here and look like a follower of Jesus, isn't it? But what we want to happen is for us to mature. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say one more thing and we're going to close with a song. If, if you're here this morning and you don't know anything about Christianity, you're not really sure, you've never heard someone talk about Jesus the way that we have or sing about him the way we, we did this morning, we have a little gift for you it's a little booklet that talks about who Jesus is and it's also a copy of the Bible which contains the teachings of Jesus so what we'd really like you to do if you want to know more about following Jesus or you feel in your heart you can feel God speaking to you right now I want you to put just put your hand up and one of our hosts will get one of these into your hands there's no pressure we're not asking you to join our church um, you know we're not going to sort of hunt you down we're going to help if you want to know more about following Jesus. Is there anyone here that would like a copy of this? Anyone at all? Now I know it's dawning putting up your hand so if you still want one of these, come and chat to our host. They'll give you one or come and chat to me. I'll make sure you get one. 
Because following Jesus changes everything in our life. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, I, I want to say, we don't want to just talk about faith. We definitely don't want to be glib, superficial about following you obediently when you want to test our faith through a sacrifice. So all of us who have heard this message right here this morning, for those who are listening online, I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would invade our thinking. You have the right to rebuke and correct and teach us. We know you're full of gentleness, kindness and love. But Lord, we also know that you want to transform us into the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. That we would live out your word every single moment with our families, our friends, in our workplace, in our street, in our school. So my simple prayer is, from this message today, that your spirit would take your word, Hebrews 11, and help us to sacrificially live out our faith any time that you choose to test us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, you've got to say it louder than that. You've got to believe it. Who wants to be tested for their faith? Come on. No, no, I didn't think so. It's tough, isn't it? Listen, we are going to finish with a song, so we don't want you to head off just yet. This song here is really about our hearts opening up to God. So come on, let's sing it together. And I believe, I see you doing again.
Why don't you go out and let's practice what Greg preached? Amen. See you later.